Hello, my name is Richard Fern. I'm joined today by Andrew Roberts of the University of Warwick Department of Law. Andrew is an expert in criminal procedure and much of his work has looked at the use of the police DNA database and how that database is expanding and growing and how it can help or hinder not only the um, the use of DNA in catching criminals but also, well, the effects, of, the effects on our civil liberties. So... Give me some idea of the breadth and the width of the current DNA database and what are police using it for? Well, um, the police have powers to take and retain DNA samples from anyone who's uh, arrested for a recordable offence. And the range of recordable offences is from the most serious murder and rape, down to relatively trivial offences, minor shoplifting uh, and offences of that nature. Uh, Their powers come from uh, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act, and two sections in that act uh, in particular, section 63 and 64. So section 63 and 64 permit the police to take DNA samples from anyone who's arrested for a recordable offence. The police are uh, uh, permitted to retain those samples where that person is convicted or where, even though they're not convicted, they are suspected of having committed the offence. Now, the problem with this is there has been a House of Lords decision in a case called MARPA. Uh, That uh, case was a judicial review of a blanket policy Uh, uh, of the Chief Constable of South Yorkshire Police. His blanket policy was to retain on the database and retain the samples of anyone whose uh, DNA uh, sample was taken by his force. The ramifications of that judgment, um, in which the House of Laws decided that uh, that uh, blanket policy was legitimate and lawful, is that um, it enables um, the DNA of an incredibly broad category of people to be retained. Can you give me an example of that? Yes. Um, Now, the powers of of a constable, the powers of arrest, extend to circumstances in which he reasonably suspects that an offence may have been committed, and he reasonably uh, suspects the person who he arrests of having committed it. Now, if it transpires that on further inquiries it, 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 it turns out that no offence was in fact committed, um, the decision in MARPA still allows the police to re- take and retain uh, the DNA sample from, from the, per- the arrested person. So you have on the database someone's sample who not only has not committed an offence but who was arrested in respect of an offence which didn't actually take place. Why should we not have a national DNA database? Why should not everyone's DNA be taken at birth? Everybody appear on this database. Because um, DNA holds the most personal and intimate information about it. Um, A DNA sample can be analysed to see whether we've got certain serious illnesses and diseases, 
It can reveal who we're related to. It can reveal whether we're genetically deep, uh, predisposed to certain illnesses or conditions. Uh, and if the state wants to take a sample, well, that exposes you to various risks. Various people might uh, gain unauthorised access to the database. This database might be opened up to other government departments. And if the state exposes you to that risk, well, it should so show some sound justification for doing so. The argument would be that the sound justification is provided by the detection of crime and the, um, the capture of criminals, the ability, for instance, to discount a 56-year-old grandmother from future, um, future investigations simply by scanning her DNA against a, a sample taken from a crime scene. Will this not make the police's job easier? Um, it may well make the police's job easier. Uh, but isn't that but at what isn't cost? that isn't that justification enough? Uh, no, I don't think so because you have to look at the effect on the individual. Um, I would suggest that uh, if the police want to compile a suspect database, then it ought to do so. Uh, on the uh, basis of some empirical uh, link between the category of people that it keeps on that database uh, and their propensity to commit future crimes or a series of, of crimes. Recent newspaper reports have indicated that there are more members of BME groups, black minority ethnic groups, present on that database than there are, for instance, middle-class white males like you and me. Yes. Um, what do you think of the effects of that? Um, well, I suppose it, it must um, increase the perception um, of bias within the criminal justice system because your inclusion on the DNA database really mirrors uh, the way in which other powers uh, are used by the police. So there is evidence suggests that uh, black and, and ethnic minority uh, sections of the population are subject to uh, powers of stop and search to a greater extent than the white uh, proportion of the population. That, in turn, renders those people more likely to be arrested and so more likely to be included on the DNA database. If there is any racial bias in other parts of the system, it's likely to be reflected in the DNA database itself. Surely key to this whole argument is, is, is the very simple point. If I've done nothing wrong, then I have nothing to fear from my DNA being on a database with the police. This argument is, is put quite frequently. And I suppose my response to that would be, if I have nothing to hide, why should I be on your database? If you want to use coercive powers to take my DNA, it shouldn't be for me to justify why I shouldn't be subject to them. It should be for you to justify why you're going to subject me to them. It's an invasion of one's civil liberties. Um, DNA is uh, uh, central to notions of one's privacy, private life. But there is no right to privacy in English law. Uh, well, there isn't in English law, but under the European Convention on Human Rights, 
um, the right to respect for private and family life is incorporated into domestic law. So how does this DNA database breach that European law? Well, it's uh, a compilation of personal data uh, and uh, the most intimate form of personal data. Um, the case of MARPA, which I mentioned previously, uh, is going before the European Court of Human Rights in the near future. Um, when the case was in the House of Lords, uh, it was the opinion of the Lords that there was no issue raised under Article 8. The retention of DNA samples uh, didn't interfere with an individual's right to respect for his private and family life. Um, if I were asked to predict what will happen uh, in the European Court, I I'll suggest that the Court um, will find that it does violate uh, the individual's Article 8 right, because in various cases over the last few years, it's found a violation uh, of Article 8 uh, in circumstances such as uh, a, uh, the taking of urine samples in a prison uh, drug testing regime and the taking of a blood sample from those suspected of drink driving. Uh, just because that interferes with one's Article 8 right doesn't mean that it's a violation uh, of that Convention right, because the Convention right uh, al allows the state to justify that interference. Uh, if, it's, if the measure is pursued for some legitimate aim, such as the prevention of crime and disorder, um, although taking of a sample interferes uh, with individuals' right, um, the court will find that it's justified. And I, will suspe I suspect that when MARPA goes to the European Court, there's a chance that it may find that uh, the powers to take and retain uh, DNA samples under the Police and Criminal Evidence Act may well interfere with one's right to privacy, respect for private life, uh, but may well be justified on the part of the state. OK, let's imagine for a moment that there is a complete DNA database for the entire population. A crime is committed, a murder, and there's a DNA match with somebody. Isn't that entirely proof positive that that, that person is the murderer? And haven't we just justified having the DNA database? Well, <clears throat> it's certainly powerful evidence but DNA evidence in itself is circumstantial. It certainly doesn't prove guilt. It may prove, and I emphasise that it may prove, that the person who uh, matches that DNA profile was at the location uh, in which, where the, the crime was committed. Um, the probative value of DNA evidence, well, it's statistical evidence. Uh, you quite often get cited in media reports uh, quite phenomenal ratios, probability match ratios. So experts will give evidence that uh, the probable recurrence at random in the general population of the suspect's DNA is one in some number of millions or even billions. Some people may uh, look at those figures and assume that what the, ev uh, the expert is in fact saying is that there's 
let's say, a, an 8 million to 1 chance of the uh, suspect being guilty. Um, that's known as the prosecutor's fallacy. Uh, and it was tackled by the English Court of Appeal in a case called Doheny. In that case, the court stated that statistical evidence uh, should not be given in that manner. Uh, it described a hypothetical situ situation. It um, approached a subject on a hypothetical basis. Um, suppose that the evidence is the uh, random occurrence uh, ratio is 1 in 2 million. Well, if we take the population of Britain to be 60 million, well, that suggests that there may be at least 30 people who share the same DNA profile. Now, if you had everyone in the country on a DNA database, well, the database you would expect to throw up all of the possible suspects. With a rather limited database, um, you may well get the one suspect, but you don't know for certain whether there are other people out there who share the same DNA profile. But even if you had the whole of uh, the UK population on a database, uh, that really doesn't uh, nullify the risk of, of error, because um, there are large numbers of people who aren't UK nationals uh, visiting uh, the UK uh, each year, uh, and we have no way of recording who is coming, or, or rather no way of tracing who's coming in and out of the country by reference to their DNA profiles. On the other hand, if I had 30 suspects from a DNA profile, I could call in those 30 people, I could question them, I could, I could find out who had, who had a good alibi. Within that process, I might be able to take out a, a certain number as a police officer, surely I'd be saying to myself, well, OK, Joe Bloggs has a good alibi, Mr Smith doesn't. Does Mr Smith have a reason to want to commit this murder, for instance? Method, motive, all of the things that make up good old-fashioned policing. Hmm. Well, uh, I think there is... A, uh, the argument for having everyone on a national database, in terms of reducing the risk of mistaken conviction um, is sounder than the manner in which we're building the database at the moment. But uh, there are, uh, I think there are also strong arguments against uh, including all of the population on the database um, because the collective um, loss of liberty um, may outweigh any benefits from uh, solving a relatively small number of serious crimes each year. The real problem is that we've had no uh, major public debate on the DNA database. It's proceeded in a rather haphazard way. Uh, uh, now, there is some movement uh, towards uh, greater public discussion of the uses to which the DNA database ought to be put. Uh, there was a Parliamentary Science and Technology Committee uh, report which uh, examined the DNA database, and that committee raised its concerns. Uh, it, it invited the government to respond. 
uh, the committee wasn't satisfied by that response and returned to the issues in rehearing. Uh, there's been a recent flurry of uh, DNA database stories in the national uh, media and that has been prompted by uh, the establishment of a Nuffield Council on Bioethics inquiry into forensic use of the DNA database. Uh, I believe that uh, inquiry will report uh, sometime late next year and I'll, I'm sure its findings will be awaited with great anticipation. Andrew Roberts. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.